This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. Uh, so you can turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to get there in just a moment. Luke chapter 14. And uh, as we go there, uh, just a reminder kind of the plan, what we're going to do is that uh, we're going to be looking at a topic uh, during the worship service portion. I keep wanting to say Sunday mornings, but it's all day now. So we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture during worship. And then for these months, what we're really going to try to do is to unpack a little bit more specifically how we apply um, these truths. So when we get uh, to the topic of anxiety here in a couple of months, when we look at that Matthew 6 passage, we're going to preach on it. And then we're going to come down and on equip that night. We're going to get a little more practical. How can we fight against anxiety? What are some things that the scripture take, teaches in other places? We're going to make that resource available online, and we're going to have some other things that are going to happen. But today, what I want to do is talk about making a spiritual growth plan for 2021. Um, and, and so this is kind of for those who like to be planners and to think through, okay, some of you are like, I'm just hoping we see 2021. We're almost there, okay? We're almost at that place um, to look. And so just a reminder that as we think about that, uh, we won't grow by accident. Uh, right? That that doesn't happen. Typically, we grow because we actually put some work into it, right? Whether it's any type of work, whether it's exercise or cleaning the house, it just doesn't happen just by accident. Uh, rooms don't clean themselves, do they? You wish. It doesn't happen uh, just automatically, right? So to have the blessed life that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, we must follow him on the path of discipleship. That means that as we continue to go, that we realize this one truth. We must keep what? must keep growing. We, we, so we say, okay, uh, I thank God for where I'm at, but it also means I got a little bit ways to go. Um, there's a song that we've been playing in the car some, uh, and it's, um, I can't remember the title of it now, but I remember the line and it's really good. Um, but it, it says that, um, uh, I, I thank God basically that the implication of the song is I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. You know, I've seen the growth in my life. I'm seeing it, but that means I still have a little bit more to go. So for us, we want to evaluate your spiritual position, kind of see where you are. Um, and um, as, as you guys know, we've kind of talked through some of this stuff. Some of this is going to be a little bit of a reminder tonight um, of just the application side of it. But just remember this, that you are entirely, uh, if we think about it, you are entirely unique and you will never be in this exact same spiritual situation again, right? Now, I know the first phrase, some of you go, absolutely, I know I'm completely unique. My spouse tells me all the time or my kids tell me all the time, my parents tell me all the time. You are completely, entirely unique. You are different than anybody else in the world, and nobody is in the exact same situation that you are in, and you will never be in this same spiritual situation again. So I think uh, what happens a lot of times is, um, how many of you have like a certain um, way of spiritual growth or a certain Bible study that really made a big difference in your life? Can you remember one? Like, I have a friend who always talks about the 2-7 series that the Baptists used to use years ago. Do you remember the 2-7 series, maybe? Okay, maybe. Okay, well, y'all got messed up. All right, but anyway, there's some people who talk about this 2-7 series that they talk about, this is the way to grow. And because it worked for them, guess what? Everybody had to do that, or else it just, it, you know, you weren't growing, 
Well, maybe, or maybe God uses different paths, right? So some people would say, oh, well, the, the way to do it is that you just want to do, you know, um, chronological Bible reading plan, and you want to do this, and this worked for me. Well, that, that's great that it worked for you, but that doesn't mean it necessarily works for everybody else. Um, have any of you ever tried, don't, don't show admission, or you don't have to raise a hand or anything like this, but have you ever tried to do a diet plan or a workout regimen that worked really well for somebody else, but it just was not connecting with you, right? <laughs> That's great, it worked for you. That product helped you. That what it ain't working for me. Okay, like it's not happening. So why is that? Well, because physically we're different, but also spiritually different. And and so if we think about it, widespread methods can never address all your particular needs. If we think about it, widespread methods um, can never uh, address all of your particular needs. So every single person here is in a unique situation, and we can't address all of your particular needs. So. Um, Give you an example. Uh, this afternoon earlier, I was doing some premarital counseling uh, for a couple uh, getting ready to get married here uh, in a couple months. And it was funny. I was talking to them, and they really were listening very, very well. And there was this moment I just stopped, and I said, you know when you really listen really well? And they said, when? I said, after you've been married for about six months. Like, you're listening really well now, but once you get in in a few months or a few years, like, I've even had a couple come to me that said, after I did premarital counseling with them, and they've been married about a year, they said, we kind of wish we'd come back and do pre, uh, that counseling again because we think we'd be listening better than we did at first. Why is that? Because you get a couple reps in and you realize, I actually need this. It's not just a good idea. Like, I, I see how we have to work out some of these things. And sometimes what happens is, is that we don't know that we need it until we get to a specific situation. And a lot of times we use widespread methods. We say, okay, well, everybody needs this. And you go, well, maybe that's not exactly where we are. This couple is very interested in learning about what marriage is right now because that's where they are. Um, if I were to sit down and talk to them about, you know what you need to learn next is about how to raise children. They might say, hold on a second. Okay, we're not even married yet. Oh, let me also teach you a lesson about one day your parents are going to be grown and you're going to have to be caring for them. And it's going to be, and they're like, whoa, we're not, we're not there yet. It's, it's not relevant to where they are. Does that make sense? So right now, um, in the last 10 years, is anybody in this room dealing with certain things that you've never dealt with before in your life? Scott, I never even thought about this. Never had to address this. Why? You're in a different stage, different place. And so you have to think differently. And unfortunately, what we do a lot of times in church is we do widespread methods. Let's get everybody in this, right? Everybody's got to be dealing with this. So we're just shotgun approach. Everybody gets it. So in church, a lot of times we say, well, since this one person is struggling with this, we're going to do an entire sermon series on, let's just say it's on finances. Okay. 20% of our church is really struggling financially. So we're going to do a sermon series and we're going to fix everybody. Well, I don't know whenever that's happened actually, right? You might have the best sermon series in the world, the best Bible study in the world, but if people don't apply that truth, right? Not going to make a difference. And you might go through it, but not everybody's in that situation right now. It might be good information, but it's not relevant. It's not helpful because they're in a better spot. And so if we just use widespread methods, a lot of times we can't address all the particular needs that are going on in their life. So it's almost as if, let's imagine that Jesus comes in and that he wants to restore all of us, right? Which is kind of a restoration, renewal kind of deal what he does for us. So imagine that Jesus goes to the junkyard, so to speak. Okay, let's just imagine that all of us are a busted up car that Jesus is going to restore. Okay, uh, he goes to the junkyard, he finds all of us. And the first place he goes to is he, he finds me, this, this car that's really busted up, really messed up. And he goes and takes and, and identifies and, he, and he, he restores it, gets the engine running again. And then he takes it off to the body shop and says, now, body shop, I want you all to work on Travis. 
he's got some restoring that I want you to be a part of. So I, I take this as the church, right? Okay, the church comes along and says, I'm going to help restore this person. So the church steps back and looks and goes, okay, Travis needs a new alternator, needs a new paint job, and needs a new set of back tires is what he needs, okay? So what they do instead is that they, they work on me, but then they come up with this whole program that basically identifies every other car that is going to come in as an assembly line, and guess what everybody after me is going to get? New alternator, new paint job, and new back tires. The problem is this, the next car may not need any of those things. Alternator's fine. Paint job's fine. Back tires are fine. What's wrong? We lost the back bumper, okay? Or, or, or we, we don't have, there, there's other parts of the, the air conditioning is not working, whatever it is, but yet we want to systematize everything and everybody gets the same thing. But every person in this room, there might be some commonalities. Imagine all of us could do some work in the same areas, but we're all in different places. And if we just use those widespread methods, it's not going to address those particular areas. And so you won't make much spiritual progress by accident, so you need to develop a prayerful plan. If you won't grow just by accident, by just happen chance, then have you ever sat down and developed a prayerful plan of how you need to grow? Have you ever said, this is kind of where I am right now, and these are the areas in which I specifically need to grow in Christ? And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, at this wonderful passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about what the cost of discipleship is all about. So as the disciples are growing, there's more and more people coming to him. Jesus had a knack for scaring people off sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he really did. In fact, um, when we were doing a mission partnership, uh, when I was at Northside and we were doing a mission partnership in Niger, we had a lot of college students who said they wanted to spend a summer in Niger. Let me just tell you something. If you're not ready to go spend a summer in a Muslim community in a roughing it third world country when some people think it's the poorest country in the world, you are doing some people a problem if they're not ready for it. So what was my job? To scare them to death. <laughs> to weed out everybody. You know, be like, well, I, I just kind of, you know, as long as I have a shower every so often and a nice warm milk, don't go. You're going to die. You're going to have goat milk and you're going to get sick and you're not going to have a shower for two months. Okay, like, you just want to go ahead and tell, like, scare them off. This is going to be difficult. And so a lot of times it weed through a lot of people that said, I don't want that challenging thing. Jesus comes along sometimes and says, all right, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. And sometimes people walked away. Now, what he does in this passage here is he's going to say, I'm going to give you something, but I'm going to give it to you in a unique way to say, if you're going to follow me, you better think through this. You really better think through what the next little bit of it is. So in verse 25, he says, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Has that passage challenged anybody ever before? I mean, how many times have you read that and you go, well, of course you didn't mean that. Now, we, we know that in this thing that, you know, you've been, you've been taught this and you've thought th through this in yourself. If God has called us to honor our parents, do you think now he's calling us to hate them? No, not a chance. So what is he calling? He's saying that your level of commitment to me compared to your level of commitment to every other person in your life has to be significantly different or else. It's going to mess everything up. If someone else takes first place, all of your other relationships are going to get out of whack. Uh, first created being, Adam, doing good until what happened? Well, you go, well, his wife ate some food, right? Okay, well, what was it? What really happened? Why did Adam sin? God said when he gave out the consequences, because you listened to the voice of your wife, here are your consequences. And all the ladies in the room said, I am offended, okay? 
And was it, was it saying that Eve didn't have anything to say? No, what he was saying is, you put Eve's word ahead of mine. Eve said to eat this, and I told you not to. You got these things out of order. That's the problem, fella. And, and so what is Jesus saying here? Don't get these relationships out of order no matter what you do. So uh, when it says these passages here, your commitment to Jesus must override every other relationship. Your commitment to Jesus must override every other relationship in your life. If you're really going to follow him, that means that you cannot find yourself walking away from the faith because of any other relationship. Now, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you go, well, how does that take place today in this world? Let me tell you how I see it most often right now. When people see that someone in their life, a child, son, a daughter, a brother, a parent, are choosing to walk away from biblical faith, choosing to walk away from a biblical ethic, if you will, even, and someone who loves that family member so much and doesn't want to lose them decides to change their belief on what God teaches in order to love that child or person that's when this takes place. Now, let me ask you that. Is that happening today? How, how, many, how many people am I hearing from to say, I know what the Bible says, but my family member is in this area? And so therefore, what happens? They change what they believe based on that family member. This is being played out before our eyes right now. And, and so I'm, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying this is hard. This is very challenging because how do you love somebody and still say, your sin is abhorrent to God, and I'm not for it. Because um, I told with someone, a, a parent recently, whose child called and said, I want to tell you what my stance is in life in this certain area. And first thing out the gate was, so are you going to let me come home for Christmas? What? Where does that come from? It's just, it's just this, it's going to be a battle, isn't it? It's going to be a battle. So I'm going to make you choose, like right now, God or me. God or me. And, and what I want to be able to say is, I choose God before you, but I still choose you. And choosing God before you is actually a choice for you. But to put you in the driver's seat is the worst thing I possibly could do for our relationship. So he says, if you're going to do anything, you've got to make sure that your relationships, none of them can ever override your allegiance to Jesus. And then verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when we think about bearing your own cross, um, Luke chapter 14, right? That's where we are. Just so you're aware, Jesus is crucified in this book in Luke chapter 23. So this is a hard biblical question, but I believe in you tonight. Did Jesus say this before his death or after his death? Before, right? Like, it's not a trick question. Some of you are like, oh, am I going to ask? Okay. He said this before his death. So when he said this to a group of disciples, whoever does not bear his own cross, they weren't seeing the gold cross around people's necks. They weren't seeing the beautiful cross you know, established in church buildings. What were they seeing? The place where criminals went to die. Well, Jesus, why, why would you say that? Whoever does not bear his own cross? like You mean like put my whole life on the line cannot be my disciple? What, what are you trying to tell us there? that following Jesus is more than a one-time decision. It is a, I am laying down my life for you. And it doesn't say, 
Whoever does not bear his cross one time. It, it seems this continual action. And that's why Romans 12, um, 1 and 2, it talks about us being a living, holy sacrifice. How do you, how do you be a living sacrifice? Normally you think of a sacrifice as not alive, but what? Dead, right? What's the problem with living sacrifices? The old preacherism is living sacrifices still can crawl off the altar when they want to. That's the, the concept, right? Uh, it's getting too hard. I'm, I'm getting off this. He goes, no, no, you're going to bear your cross. You're going to follow me and you're going to come after me. And come after me means this. A lot of times people say, I don't feel like I'm experiencing Jesus anymore. I don't know where he went. Guess what? Jesus moves. When he says, follow me, that implies he's going somewhere. And some of us are still sitting in the car going, where is he? He asked you to get out of the car a couple years ago and say, come follow me. I haven't seen him in a while. I haven't talked to him in a while. I don't feel him anymore. Because he said, come out and follow me. And we're still stuck. We're still sitting there. And he said, no, no, I want you to follow so then it goes on, and this is where it gets down to the kind of the plan side of if you're going to follow him. Uh, verse number 28, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? All the planners in this room just said, Thank you, Jesus, for saying what I've been trying to tell my family all my life, right? He says, So if you want to build a tower, you need to sit down and see if you've got enough banking uh, to be able to actually finish the thing, right? Um, have any of you ever seen a house that got started building and it's been sitting there for a while, right? Or a, a building that was, got started and never got finished? And sometimes there's this, all right, let's count the cost and see, A, do I have enough money to do it? B, do I have enough skill to do this? C, do I have enough time to pull this off? And Jesus said, don't start building the tower because if it's left off, everybody's going to know you. you didn't have enough to finish it, right? Finish the job. And so now he's equating this to discipleship, which is really, really interesting because he's saying, all right, so you want to grow? Make sure you got enough in the bank to finish the job. Like, plan it. Have, have a plan about things. Look what he says next, verse 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Okay? Got started, can't finish it. What's your problem? Saying this man began to, feel, began to build and was not able to finish. Have you ever known somebody start to follow Jesus and didn't finish well? Started really strong, got the shoot. All of a sudden went alongside the way. He says, count the cost. See if you got enough to finish this. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Right, you got a battle to fight? You better figure out if you got enough troops in the battle, right? Or if not, you might want to stay home, Okay. Because this is not something, it's not like we're playing laser tag out there. This is a battle. So if you go out there, you need to make sure you know you can go to battle. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I don't want to fight. Let's just let's find a way to make peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So he, so he equates discipleship as this, someone who's building a tower and waging a war. You want to be discipled? Think about it like building a tower and waging a war. And if you're building a tower, you get a blueprint together. You get the right people involved. You make sure you got enough banking account, and you start working on it so you can finish the job. If you go to battle, you better have strategy. You better have the right people around you, or else you are going to lose. And when you lose in a game like this, this isn't any way that you come out of this strong. And I think what he's saying here, which I think is so helpful, that Jesus... Um, is helping us out very practically think through something because I have heard many sermons in my life where I felt very motivated, but I didn't know what to do with it. 
You know, some of you are like, we do too, every Sunday, Trav. Okay, and that's what I need to work on, right? Oh, man, I feel really spiritually motivated, but what am I supposed to do with this, right? That's why, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is not, uh, it's easier to understand than Daniel. It is not easier to apply. It's, it's challenging. It, it's very clear. But now it's the point where you count the cost. Can we do this? And, and many people fail in their spiritual desires because they never established a plan to see them through. They have a lot of heart, a lot of desire. They know what they want to do but they never have a plan to actually see it through to get there. How many people I have known um, wanted to get, wanted to preach, they didn't want to go to seminary. Wanted to go on the mission field, didn't want to go through training. Wanted to help somebody else, didn't want to get the equipment and the um, enabling that, that they needed to have to the cost. And so Jesus says this, so if you want to do this, you better count the cost to make sure you know what you're doing. Now, if you turn the page over, some of you guys are going to remember this kind of thing that we did about a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm also going to be humble enough to know that I, I don't expect anybody here to have memorized this and this be life-changing, but I want to tell you where I'm at in this. This is something that I'm going and saying, every year of my life, I'm coming back to this. And I'm getting a blank sheet of paper and saying, where am I now and where do I need to grow? And, and so this is, a, a if, if you've been around, you know this is kind of something I prayed and, and, and thought through for a long time of how do we help somebody have a guide for where you are specifically. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this tonight as a reminder of some of the ways that you can say, give me a practical thing. And so as we go, this is kind of a worksheet for you to, to kind of fill in and you may make some notes or think through. Um, I'm, I'm very leery of New Year's resolutions in some ways, right? Because by January 3rd, I'm really mad at myself. Um, but this is more of a, I, I always find myself in December evaluating a lot in my life in a good way. Is there a better way to do things in my family? Is there better ways to lead out in the church? Uh, what books do I need to read? Who do I need to learn from? <laughs> what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What Just evaluate. Um, old Stephen Covey practice, if any of y'all ever read the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the things he said was that the people who really make a big difference in the world are people who always sharpen the axe, right? Um, I have learned the pain of this lesson. I read the chapter a long time ago, but I never applied it. If you've ever tried to cut something down with a dull axe, you can get it down, right? But you'll be wore out to do it. You go, but I don't have enough time to sharpen the axe. Oh, you do, actually. Because if you'll take the time to sharpen the axe, guess what? It takes less hits, less effort to get the tree down. Or you can say, I don't have time to do that, so I'm just going to continue to hit it with a dull axe. And what happens is, you might get the tree down, but you're going to be busted up and need the chiropractor after the fact, right? Take time to sharpen the axe. And so what do I, I try to do every December is I look at my life and go, where do I need to sharpen the axe? Where do I need to evaluate my life? In my family, in my church, in my own personal devotions? What is it in my life that I need to address and work on? And so let me go through this as a guide, just as a reminder. Maybe this can be a guide that you use personally. But I also want to encourage you is that if somebody comes to you and says, I don't know where I need to grow, you can use this as a guide. You can use this on a napkin talking with people. And so just a reminder, this comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, where it says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a beautiful phrase, by the way. Christ is in you. All right? The whole first section of Colossians, he's been saying, the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. And now he's going to try to convince you that the fullness of Christ dwells in you. So what do you and I lack today to 
grow in Christ. We like nothing. Christ is in us. Then he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, sorry about that, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we're not after perfection, but maturity. We're, we're growing here a little bit. And then it says, For this I toil, struggling with all of whose energy? His energy. So am I struggling or is it his energy? It's both. It's I'm working hard, but I'm working hard with the power he provides, the energy that he powerfully works within me. And so from those three verses, here's the six categories of how I kind of do an evaluation to see where I am in life, how I need to grow. So the first is that phrase that says, delight Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, um, a lot of times in life, folks, we can do things... um, not because we want to, but because we're supposed to. And I have grown up thinking that is the best and better way, and there's part of me that still struggles with that. But let me give you an example. If you only do the things because you're supposed to and not because you want to, let me show you how this applies. Um, I'm going to talk about a hypothetical situation that may or may not have ever happened in our home. Okay? Let's just say that you've been married for a while. And let's just say that your wife looks at you one day and says, you know, you used to bring me flowers. Just all hypothetical, okay? You know, I remember when you used to bring me flowers, and I go, I do too. I was trying to get you to marry me, and now you're married to me. I remember those days when I used to buy you flowers, and she says, man, that would be great to get some flowers every so often. Now, fellas, let's just be honest, I'm in a trap now. I'm completely trapped, because if I give her flowers... It's this whole mental game. Now I'm only giving it to it because she's asked for it, and she knows I'm only doing it because she told me to. But if I don't give her flowers, that means I'm not listening to her. So either way, I messed up, right? I messed up. Ladies, I'm just trying to let y'all understand our thinking process, okay? I get it. Y'all want flowers, and it means something. But now we're stuck because we're not the initiator. So either way we do it, we're going to be thinking about it, analyzing it, and there's no... So here's what I want to do. I'm going to show up one day, and I'm going to go, All right, woman, you said this is important? Here. Here's your flowers. I went to Walmart, got the expensive batch. Are you happy now? And she is going to say, pitter-patter, oh, be still my heart, right? <laughs> now, ladies, do you, would you be pleased if your husband just said, here, woman, this is what you wanted, right? No. And I go, and the guy, the black and white in me goes, but you said you wanted flowers, and I gave you flowers. Be happy, right? What's the difference? Attitude, the heart. The desire behind it. Why I'm doing it. So, ladies, answer me this question. Can I do the right thing but do it in the wrong way? Yes. You'll still take the flowers. Okay, I get it. Okay, so we got it. I got, I got it. I'll still take flowers. Premarital counseling happens on Monday mornings from 10 to 12. No, I mean, right premarital, marital counseling. Okay, no. Um, so, yes, we, we would like flowers anyway, right? But, ladies, if you had the choice, you'd have the flowers that were initiated without you having to ask for it and with a good attitude, right? That'd be the best case, okay? So I'm here to say that spiritually, there's a lot of times in my relationship with Jesus, I'm going, here, that's what you wanted, right? You wanted obedience? Fine. And God's going, be still my heart, oh, Trav. Way to go. Wow, you seen. So, so what's the problem? I struggle in the delight department. I can do the right things, but do it in the wrong way. Now, I will say, to Christy's point, it's better to do the right thing than do the wrong thing. Any day, I'll agree with that. 
But I'm also saying this, that what needs to happen in my heart is I want to do these things. 1 John 5, 3 says it this way. This is how we know the love of God when his commandments are not burdensome. I love that verse. This is how you know that God's love has infected your life when God's commands to follow them aren't a burden to you anymore. It's like, it's not a burden. I want to do this. I want to follow you. And so, so here's how I identify this in my life. I, I, follow, I finish this sentence. I need to delight in Jesus more than, what is it? What is it that either is stealing my affection from Jesus, replacing where he's in that first position, what is it that has my heart, right? So there's a lot of people right now that say, I need to delight in Jesus more than college football, okay? I, I need to delight in Jesus more than having my house absolutely perfect. I need to delight in Jesus more than doing work for Jesus. There's a trap for pastors. There's a big trap. I can be, let me tell you, it's real easy to do things for Jesus, but sometimes you can miss doing it with him. You go, is that a, is that a problem? Yeah, it's a big problem. That's what the Pharisees did. They, they did work for God, but not walking with God. So what you say is, I need to delight in Jesus more than, is there something that has your joy more than anything else? And you identify that. And you go, okay, I'm going to get to work there. I'm going to get to work in that specific area. I need to delight Jesus more than. So some people may say, I, what's, what's upsetting your delight in Jesus? Some people would be exactly what Jesus said a few verses ago when he looked at Luke 14. My delight's more in my kid's success than what Jesus says. I got to get in the right position, right? I got to find in the right position. I don't want to, I don't want to belittle him and my approach to love them. So maybe I need to delight in Jesus more than my kids, more than my career more than my house, more than my hobby, whatever it is. And then you start coming up with an action plan that you start looking at to say, so what are the things that you need to do to ensure that happens? What are the things that you start doing in your life? Is it something you need to read? Is it something you need to apply? Something you need to do? Something you need to change? The second section there says disobedience. And the phrase in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, warning everyone. And I have to think if we look at the Apostle Paul, what was he typically warning people of? It's warning of disobedience. If you play in the road over here, you're going to get hit. Don't do this. Flee immorality. Uh, flee jealousy. Don't steal. Don't do uh, all these different things that he keeps saying. And so what I often say uh, this way is, is um, like the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, uh, I am prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Right? We are all prone to wander, but we are prone to wander in different ways. Are we not? If you have more than one child in your family, you know, same raising, same environment, different struggles. From day one, you saw it. Why is this one so angry at everything, right? Just always want to start something. And this one probably needs to get angry sometimes. Anger is not their problem, but you know what it is, right? It's greed or, or whatever it is. We come into the world in different ways. And so what I always say is that my disobedience that must be addressed is what is the area right now that God's word needs to warn you a little bit and what is the action plan that you need to address? And why I think this is so important, um, if, you, if you don't know this, um, just by the example of the kids, all of us struggle in different ways. All of us are tempted in different ways. Every single one of us can fall to the same temptation, but everybody in this room is prone to wander in different ways other than others. You know the top two or three issues that are the sins that so easily beset or entangle you, right? And they're not the same for everybody. Um, give you a great example. Last year, 
Uh, I took Obadiah and Eli, and we went to the Overcomer Center for the Super Bowl party. Um, they they were at uh, watching the Super Bowl, and I like I went over there, and, and the boys said I'd love to go over there one day. And I'm like I don't know. Okay, well we, we were over there. We ate a lot of snacks, <laughs> a lot of snacks, had a lot of fun. Do what? Thankfully, during halftime, we were eating a lot of snacks. That's right, and the TVs were off. Um, and yet, what happened was is that during one of the commercials, and people love the Super Bowl commercials, let me tell you what happens differently, and the boys even picked up on this, because joking, having a good time, you know, everybody's ribbing each other, we're laughing, we're cutting up, and then a Budweiser commercial comes on. And you feel it in the room. It just got awkward. Everybody got quiet. The boys look at me, and then one guy, about second or third row of chairs, couches, we're all in there, he goes, oh, ha, 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 real funny, Budweiser. Yeah, alcohol's real funny until you've completely made so many bad decisions that if you go to rehab and you're not around your family anymore, yeah, alcohol's real funny, isn't it? Ha, ha, ha. It was just, I mean, it was just awkward. And you know what happens when I see a Budweiser commercial? Nothing. I've never struggled with alcohol. I've struggled with a lot of stuff in my life. That's not one of them. I've, I've, I've never had a propensity like, that's what I've got to do. I, I've jokingly said the only time I've ever had alcohol is when I went to an Episcopal church, and I didn't realize they did not serve Welch's grape juice at communion. <laughs> only time. Only time I've ever had it. I promise you that. Only time I've ever had it. Uh, I was surprised. I was expecting Welch's. It burned going down. That's all I remember, okay? Only time I ever have. Uh, I've never struggled with drunkenness or, or, or anything like that. Um, but those men in that room, a Budweiser commercial came on and you could feel it. And, and I just thought that was such a picture, right, of how the sin that so easily besets you. And, and I know that at different points in my life, those sins, those temptations have been different. Now, there, there's some reoccurring issues I get, but there are sometimes certain situations. And so, so my thing I encourage people to do is to find one, maybe two, and you might say, I got 18. I know, but... What's the one issue if you don't address that's going to address you? It's going to take you out pretty soon. So what is that temptation? So I'll give you an example, right? So if, if the disobedience that must be addressed is, let's say it's greed for you. If greed was your, your issue. I'm struggling with envy and greed and wanting more stuff. So what's the action plan? You don't just go, I think you need to pray about it, but I also here's what the action plan would come. If greed was that issue, I will start saying, all right, find five Bible verses on greed and memorize them. Find a way to go help out at Project Host, okay? Go and serve people who are not as fortunate as you. Find a way to give away some things that you have in your house, teaching yourself that this stuff, whatever it is, you start going to battle in that certain area. Address what it is and start fighting. Count the cost, uh, declare war, whatever you got to do, find that disobedience. Let me go through these last four rather quick. Third one is doctrine. The phrase in there is teaching everyone with all wisdom. Uh, I I love this part because... um, Teaching everyone with all wisdom means that there are certain parts in this scripture, right, that I am more familiar with, and there are some that I struggle with. Um, Y'all probably could feel it. Daniel was a doozy for me, okay? It was hard work. I mean, my head was hurting. I was up at night having dreams about all kinds of dragons and stuff. I mean, it it was hard work. It was more difficult for me. Why? Because if I'm honest with you, that realm of prophecy of scripture is not my go-to. You know, some people it is. That's not my go-to. You put me in other places, I could go right now. But Daniel was hard work for me, and that was part of where I was growing as a as a follower of Jesus this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna study hard in those areas. 
So for you, you might say, what's a pivotal doctrine for me to study? What, what is one thing, the pivotal doctrine for me to study is right now? And you might say, well, I, I don't know. I, I believe everything in the Bible. My question would be, but could you defend it? Right now, could you defend it? Maybe you need to say, uh, I'm a Baptist, so I've really never studied the Holy Spirit that much. If, if I'm honest with you, most Baptists don't talk about the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of being like those Pentecostals down the road. People have done things in the name of the Holy Spirit that are awkward and weird, and so we just avoid Him altogether, which is to our detriment. So maybe that's the doc doctrine you need to study. Maybe the doctrine that you need to study is about the end times. Maybe it's, it's just the gospel message. Maybe you said, I know the New Testament really well, but I avoid the Old Testament. And you say, I'm, all right, I'm going to study that. And, and here's what it's not saying. By the end of this next year, I'm going to have everything figured out. Just take one area and grow in it. Just, just focus in on it. Uh, Wayne Grudem is a professor and brilliant man. He wrote a systematic theology textbook that's about 1,200 pages that I got when I went to college. 1,200 pages, systematic theology. I remember looking at that, and it's going to be having to read that through two semesters, and I thought, I, I don't know if I can do that. That seems challenging. Well, Dr. Grudem figured that out too one day, so he wrote a more palatable book for people like me. It was only 500 pages. Oh, great. 500 pages. Thank you so much, Dr. Grudem. Then eventually he realized that there are people that are like me, and he wrote a 128-page book that says, here's 20 things you really need to know, okay? He, and so you got this book, you got this book, and you got this book. And what I would say is that everybody probably in this room, you would identify with either this book, this book, or this book, somewhere in between, okay? So you might say, oh, I wish I should be here. It's okay if you're not. Take what you got right here and just make a little bit more. Just evaluate one spot that you could grow in and say, all right, this is an area that I want to study in. Uh, there's a lot of people who say, I know what I believe even about ethics, okay? A lot of people would say today, I know what God's Word says about, I believe what He says about gender and about homosexuality and marriage and all this kind of stuff. And I would say, could you prove it to me from the Bible right now? Uh, I don't know if I could. That'd be a great one for you to study. If it's a pressing topic, you need to go on. Fourth area is development. He says, present everyone mature. I love that. <laughs> my job one day is to stand before King Jesus and to say, these people you've put in my life, whether it's Obadiah, Eli, and Gloria, or Jake, or Jacob, or Jonathan, or different people in my life that, God, you've put under my spiritual leadership, I want to present them to you as mature as I possibly can make them, right? And so for me, I, I look at this in this way. How is a way that I need to mature? Some of you might say, a lot of ways, Trav. I know that, okay. But what is one area that I need to? So I need to say, I need development and learning how to. What is one area that I need to grow in? And so typically, I, I like to think of what's an area that I'm in, an environment that I'm in, a task that I need to work on. So for some people, development may be just maturity. It might not be a sin issue, but might be a place you're not developing. So if you're teaching, you might say, I want to learn how to teach better. If you're planning on going on a mission trip, maybe you need to practice how to share your faith. Uh, if you feel like, you know what, there are some areas in my life where I, I just haven't developed certain things. It may be something as simple as stewardship. You go, I, I don't spend money on bad stuff. I just don't know exactly what I spend it on. It just kind of goes everywhere sometimes, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. And so maybe you say, I want to get developed in these certain areas. And so you pick one spot and you mature yourself in it. Um, category number five is discipline, where he says, for this I toil. I work hard. I struggle. I sweat a little bit. And so when I think about toiling or about things that I do in life, uh, it always makes me think of spiritual disciplines. And so what I always try to finish up is I will focus on the spiritual discipline of. What is a spiritual discipline that you want to work on right now? 
Um, and so um, some of you would say it's easier for you to read the Bible than it is pray. Or some of you would say it's easier for me to pray than read the Bible. Okay? Typically, I find people that. I'm more of a, I can read the Bible clearer and more focused than I can pray. When I start praying, I get very distracted. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I get very, very distracted. So what do I do sometimes when I pray? I pray out loud because it's harder to be distracted when you're speaking. Okay? It just is. If I'm just sitting here thinking, close my eyes, I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff. If I'm talking to the Lord, it helps me. And so, But I know this, that there are certain areas of my life that I'm better at than others. Um, so instead of you beating yourself up and saying, I'm just a train wreck on all these, pick one goal in one area and start working on it. So, um, and I would suggest this, if you're not regularly reading the Bible, I would say start there, because if you do that, everything else falls behind it. If you read the Bible, you learn about fasting. If you read the Bible, you learn about giving. If you read the Bible, you learn about praying. Get in the Bible. Um, so it may be a scripture memory goal that you have. Uh, it might be a certain way that I want to evaluate my praying. And so the action plan turns into, what, what, what is the thing that I, I want to do? And I, I would encourage you that if you don't have a Bible reading plan, get one. Get, get something together. This is what I'm, I'm working through. And, um, and so I, I've known a lot of people, don't, and don't overshoot. One of the biggest things I think people do sometimes, um, I had a group of guys, I was a disciple one time, telling them how they need to read the Bible, and I wanted them to think through what their goal was, and they're going to come back to me next week tell me what they're going to plan. And two guys came up, and they said, we're going to read the, the Bible, the entire Bible, in four months, 13 chapters a day. Now, to read through the Bible in a year, you have to get three chapters a day. They were going to do 13 a day. And I said, let me ask you, what's been your average the last six months? Well, we haven't been reading. That's where we're going to catch up. I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> you don't go zero to 13. Because guess what happens on day two if you miss day one? Some of y'all need to get the calculator out, but under my <laughs> guessment, that's 26, right? Now you're 26 chapters behind. And now you get, I mean, it's just, it's just too much. So I go around, guys, I wouldn't encourage that. If you hadn't even read one chapter a day, 13 is going to be too much. All right, what, what's going to be your goal? This buddy who is a new father, you know what he said? We're not sleeping a whole lot right now with our newborn. So I plan to listen to the Bible on my phone on my way to work. You know whose goal I believed in more? That guy. Now, is it ideal to listen to the Bible on the way your commute to work? No, but is it better than nothing? Yup. And for him, that was a big step up. And guess who finished their goal? <laughs> 13 chapters guy didn't make it a week. And he, was, he was done for. So I'm saying pick a reasonable goal. If you've been here, you don't go couch to 5K spiritually. Okay, don't try it. Just a little something. Find one goal and start working at it. So what's an area in spiritual discipline that you need to work? And the last thing is this, is when it says we're struggling with all of his energy. This is a category that I like to call dependence. And so my prayers of dependence will ask God too. What is it that you are praying for right now that only God could get the credit for? In your life or outside? You, um, y'all know the situations which you can't fix and it drives you crazy right now, right? You're like, how many? Those areas you cannot fix and it's driving you crazy. What area is that in your life and how are you going to pray? Pivotal prayers, not just... God, I'll, no, no, no. like really starting to pray and say, I'm struggling with all of his energy. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here are six areas that you could start saying, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to find one area in each of these 
I'm going to come up with an action plan. For the next few months of my life, I'm going to really focus on this area. And what if, I'm not saying you're going to be super disciple by the end of the time, but what if you just make a little bit more progress? You're hungering and you're thirsting for righteousness. And guess what? You find yourself being satisfied. And then you get to this stage and guess what? You can go to the next stage. But don't try to get 0 to 60. Don't, don't, don't try to do that. Or 0 to 13 especially. Don't try to do that. Start where you are. Get a little bit under your belt and evaluate where am I right now and where do I need to grow. And I think that a lot of us, we can get really super discouraged. There's a lot of different stuff. But I will say this. Where is an area that you specifically need to grow? Um, let me tell you this encouraging story that um, from a year and a half ago when we first kind of shared this with the church. Um, I had a lady come up to me, and she said, uh, I've chosen what my doctrine is going to be, and I don't like it. I said, okay, what is it? She said, I have decided that I am going to study something that I have avoided all of my adult life. And I said, what's that? She said, it's the doctrine of election and predestination. I said, oh, mercy. She said, every time I read it in Scripture, any of those words... I just skip over it because it hurts my head and I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have to deal with the, the God's sovereign, but man's for like it just it hurts my head, so I've avoided it. I can't avoid it any longer. I got into a debate with a family member, so I'm just going to study. I'm going to study every passage I can on this topic. Uh, I want you to tell me what books would be good. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you a book that's going to slant you either way. I'm going to give you all the options I want you to study. You know what happened after six months? She came to me. She said, that was some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. But right now, I feel so much at peace because I know what I believe about this. I did the work, and I know exactly what I believe. And I, and I feel good. When someone asks me, I can open up the Bible, and I can say, this is what I believe. And this is how I go. And she said, you were right about one thing. I was like, well, that's good to know. She said, when you told me that if I really do this work, that I will not find God in a bad light, and I did not. I was scared about studying this hard because I was going to find God in a bad light, and he's not in a bad light. He's more beautiful than I ever imagined he could because I did the work here. And I'm just saying, so what's the area for you? Where do you need to start saying, okay, six categories, make a plan together, and start just doing some work. And I promise you that here's the beautiful thing. If you want to grow in Christ, guess who else wants you to grow? Christ does. He's got all the resources in the world, and he can empower you to do so. So Jesus, as we pray to you tonight and wrap up this great day that we've been able to celebrate you, We are thankful that you love us just the way that we are, and yet you love us too much to keep us on that same path. But you point us to truth, you point us to growth, you help us in our sanctification, you point us to discipleship, and since each of us are different, you have distinctive paths for each of us to go down. So Jesus, we thank you that you point us to truth, help us walk in it. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you guys.